Well, today in our gospel reading, we have the, the temptation of Jesus, which is that, that famous story that, that actually frames our whole season of Lent. Um, of course, it's not an accident. The 40 days of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness uh, frame our 40 days of Lent. And so the temptation of Jesus and our experience of Lent is a clue that they should be in some way similar. And one of the most incredible things that I find about this reading is the way that it says Jesus was led by the Spirit. I find that fascinating because it means that he intentionally, this he intentionally thought that he followed the Spirit's guidance. He was purposeful, in other words. The whole affair was his own decision. It wasn't something that he simply had to do. It was something that he decided to do. In other words, he knows at the very beginning of all this that he's going to go hungry, and he does it anyway. Now, most of us, I think, don't intentionally set out to go hungry for long periods of time. Uh, in fact, I've, you know, I think the longest time that I have ever been without food was on a uh, hiking trip. I left in the morning, and it was a hiking trip that unfortunately turned into a camping trip because I got lost and uh, slept outside. And then the next day, that evening, finally made it back into town. This is all my own stupidity. It wasn't that incredible of an adventure, really. Made it back into town. And unfortunately, the, the closest place I could find to get something to eat was a fine dining establishment. And so my plan was, I'll go in and I'll order french fries. That'll be it. I was 19, I didn't have a credit card, and I had like $10 in my pocket. I still had to drive home. So I went into the restaurant, I was sitting there, the man beside me to my right got up to leave, and he basically left his entire dinner plate there on the table. And compared to the plate of french fries that I had in front of me, you can imagine there were serious considerations. <laughs> I was hungry. Fortunately, right before I made a really bad decision, the man walked out of the bathroom and almost caught me. <laughs> now, I tell this story um, not to show you what repentance looks like, uh, but because hunger, as you are well aware, hunger will make you do crazy things. It will make you do things that you don't intend to do. <laughs> and so when Jesus, this is important, when Jesus intentionally goes into the desert and endures for those 40 days without food, you might think that it shows us that Jesus is actually like God, right? Look what he can endure. Look at the temptations that he can resist. Look how he overcomes his own bodily limitations. But that's not what this reading shows us at all, in fact. What it shows us is that Jesus actually is a human being. He's really a human being. He's not some pseudo-God or pseudo-human. He is truly a human being. And so when it says in verse 2 in our reading that Jesus was famished, the Greek here specifically means hungry. It doesn't mean like malnourished. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a biological description of starvation, in other words. It means he longed to be fed. The Greek, word, the Greek root for the word, in fact, is, is pina, which is where we get the word pining from. Jesus longed to be fed. It's an emotional description. Now, you have to remember the obvious here as well. God, classically speaking, God does not need to eat. Remember, God doesn't need a house. 
God doesn't get cold. He doesn't get hot. He doesn't need to sleep. He also doesn't have to resist the devil because there is nothing in the world that God needs. He owns everything. He created all of it. And so what that means is there is nothing that Satan could give God to tempt him. And so when our reading says that Jesus was hungry, it means that Jesus was actually, truly, really tempted. It means that Jesus could have done it. Do you get that in your head? Jesus could have made the wrong decision. It was a live option for him. There is nothing that says he had to make the decision that he did. But he does it. He's really a human being. Augustine says, this is interesting, that all sins are driven by misguided love or misguided fear. In other words, we can love something enough that we sin to get it. Think of scenarios like that. Or we can fear something enough that we sin to avoid it. And here you see when Jesus is hungry, he's hungry, Satan says, why don't you just eat? Wouldn't you love to eat? It's attractive. And then when Jesus is weak, hasn't eaten in 40 days, Satan says, aren't you afraid that God won't take care of you? Let me give you all of this world. Aren't you afraid? So you see Jesus, the real human being who had emotions and desires just like you and me, love and fear, says no. He says no. And when you consider this, you can see exactly why Jesus goes into the desert in the first place. Because if Jesus is to be a perfect human being, a perfect offering, a perfect sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, if he's to be absolutely flawless in his commitments to God the Father, entirely dedicated to the will of his Father in heaven, then he actually has to be really tempted. It can't be a sort of pseudo-temptation. It must be real. Now remember, a major theme, if you look back at the history of the church, major theme in the beginnings of Christian piety, the early centuries of the church's emergence into the world, there was uh, a lot of this, a lot of what Jesus does, a lot of going into the desert to learn to resist the, de the desires of the flesh. There are uncountable examples of this, in fact, if you look back, there's this whole group of um, early church figures called the Desert Fathers. And the Desert Fathers would wander off into the deserts of northern Africa and intentionally starve themselves uh, to, to test themselves, to try to, to, to make their desires pure in the face of God. And I, I, I have to say, there um, is much to be commended here. There's this incredible story, in fact, of a one monk uh, who goes to another desert monk to tell him that his father has died. Goes from the city into the desert. He says, hey, look, your, your father is dead. And his friend responds, do not blaspheme. My father cannot die. <laughs> so devoted was this monk to God that when he heard the word father, he immediately thought of his father in heaven. He wasn't even considering his earthly father because he was so attuned to his Father in heaven. Now, I know that these seem extreme and kind of un unattainable maybe, but I think there's much to learn from some of this, in fact. I think that we in this century have much to gain from traditions like the Desert Fathers. In fact, you, all, you know all this. There is probably no group of Christians in all of the history of the church who have been as bombarded by their culture to want and desire earthly goods. 
You realize that. No other generation. Also, there is no other group of Christians who have been as unfamiliar with silence. Y'all know this. Cell phones didn't really exist that much that long ago. Also, there is no other group of Christians who have been as convinced of their own control over their lives. Past hundred years, of course, we've seen medical uh, emergencies. We can do so much with our bodies that had never existed before. Control. Silence. We are unfamiliar and unaware uh, of our own bodies and desires. And so we all might do well, I think, to spend some time in the desert, not to collect an experience or to test our own personal endurance, but to listen and learn and trust God in some new way. And you see, that is exactly what Lent is for. That's exactly what Lent is for. Lent is this time to become more devoted to God, to uh, become more attuned to his voice, to become silent before him, to uh, strip away things that need to be stripped away in their life. There are all sorts of things that you can do in this Lenten season. You can add certain practices, intentional times of prayer in your life. We have, in fact, these, uh, we sent, you know, them, we sent these little Lenten bulletins all to your houses, so if you don't have any devotional material, you do. It's in your mailbox. You can fast. Christians have done that for many, many centuries. You can take a day off using technology. I've heard of people doing that recently. I think that's a wonderful practice. You can read through scripture in some sort of practiced way. We're going through the Psalms this year all as a church. There are all sorts of things you can do. I don't need to list all of them. You can think yourself. But again, the goal here, the whole point, is to hear the Holy Spirit in Lent and learn from him. That's what Lent is about. It's not to become more attractive to God. It's not to sort of clean yourself up. It is to hear the living voice of God himself. And so this is a way, in fact, that our Lenten time in the desert is actually a little bit different from Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. It's a little bit different. Because not only was Jesus' temptation actually much greater, the intensity of such an experience was far more acute than any sort of temptation we might have, probably something we could hardly imagine in some ways. But remember, again, the whole point of Jesus' temptation is that all of the world, all of the world, depended on Jesus in that very moment. Again, I mentioned it. If Jesus sinned, and he could have, he could have, he was weak, he was hungry, he is a human being. But if he had sinned the whole business, the cross, the resurrection, the sacrificial offering perfectly given to satisfy for the sins of the world, all of that is off. Jesus had to be a perfect sacrifice. All of creation depended on him in the desert. But you see, your trials, and this is where the difference is, your trials and your temptations, your intentional acts of self-denial, they can be very, very good for you. But you have to understand that God does not actually need them. He doesn't need your temptations or your trials. See, there's this old Christian doctrine. I'll get to the point. There's this old Christian doctrine, if you look way back. It's called the doctrine of aseity. It's kind of a hard word to say. The doctrine of aseity. And it says, basically, that God does not depend on any cause. Hang with me real quick. He does not depend on any cause outside of himself for his own existence. And the, the whole point of this, right, is that God doesn't need anyone in order to exist. 
He doesn't need anything else. He exists of his own being. Nobody created him. But what that means for us, what that means for us on a pastoral level, is that God doesn't, in fact, need you. God doesn't need you. And I think some of us probably bristle at that. I know I can. Think, oh, God doesn't need me. But I have so much to offer. (laughs) But he doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need any of us. You see, God will do whatever God does, and nothing depends, excuse me, he depends on nothing to do it. And that's part of what makes him God. And this, I believe, even in a Lenten season, is an immense goodness for us. Don't you see the great goodness here? It means that God doesn't need you, but he wants you. You see how wonderful that is? He doesn't need anything that you have. He has all of it, but he wants you. He desires for you. You See, I have a two-year-old son, more active than those kids for sure. And one of the things he loves doing most in the world is helping me. He's a, you know, firstborn two-year-old kid. He loves taking out the trash. He loves giving food to the dog. He loves trying to rake leaves. And, of course, he can't really do any of it. I don't need him to do any of it because he can't really do it. But it is my greatest delight, of course, to watch him try to help me. Furthermore, it is this incredible joy to communicate my delight in him, even when he's not actually helpful, right? He will never earn my love through his actions. He will never prove to me his value. He will never make himself more of mine. And you see, that is just the way God feels about you. You see, he doesn't need you. He doesn't require you. He wants you. And he longs for you. And in a way, I think that's exactly what Jesus' temptation in the desert actually proves. Because you see, the decision that's, that's thrown on him in the middle of the desert, it is this. Satan says, essentially, which do you love more, yourself or them? And by enduring through these trials and temptations day and night, 40 days, saying no to Satan again and again and again, Jesus clearly proves that he longs not for the needs of himself, but for you. In other words, Jesus hungers for you more than he hungers for food itself. Jesus longs for you more than he longs for anything else. As much as a starving man in the desert longs for bread, he longs for you even more. Jesus longs for you that much. And so this Lent, I'd simply encourage you, devote yourself to God. Turn your eyes to him and act whatever actionable item it is that will draw you into his presence or to quiet and still your life or your soul so that you can hear from him and learn from him and be actively shaped by his spirit. Set in place Practices and patterns, those are all good things. Find them out, search them, ask us about them. But when you do that, do it because of his great love for you. Do it because he longs for you. Do it because he is pining for you. Not because he needs you. Not because you can clean yourself of all of your sins or temptations. But because he says that he loves you more than food or even life itself. That is a good beginning to any Lent, and I call all of you to join me in pursuing 
knowing the God who knows us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.